0: When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode 45 of Exodus, God's great rescue, and we've been going through the uh, Exodus 21. And I want to just back up a little bit as we go through this yesterday, we talked a little bit about servants or slaves and what their rules and responsibilities were. But I got to put this whole thing into context. If you remember in Exodus 18, Jethro who is Moses's father-in-law comes to Moses and says, what are you doing? And Moses says, I'm judging between all these cases. And Jethro tells Moses, listen, you're going to wear yourself out. You need to find men, train them, get them up to speed, and then they can do the case law. Immediately after that, the, the God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. So we now have the Ten Commandments. But Moses is still up on the mountain with God. And you have to understand the, the Ten Commandments are what guides us. It's like the Constitution of the United States or the, uh, you, you know, any, like, uh, uh, the, these laws that come in and kind of, the Magna Carta, I guess is another way, of, you know, these are the things that don't change. But you have to remember that Moses is living in a time, in a place, under a context, and he's been judging for I don't know how long, all these people that come to him and ask him, okay, this situation happened. What should I do? So God gave the 10 commandments to how to live your life. These are what you should go by. But in my head, I see Moses and God having this discussion where Moses says, okay, this happened once. What should I do about it? Like Moses is asking God, how do I apply the 10 commandments? And so he's bringing up different situations to god and god is then saying okay this is how i would judge it remember even in the united states we have a constitution and amendments to the constitution but then we have this other great fantastic thing which is called case law and case law is where a situation comes before the court the court considers the situation and then they decide, okay, this in this particular situation, this is how we would judge that. And that sets up what's called case law. And the more, the more judgments happen and add to your case law, the better your judicial system is because instead of having to start from scratch, you're able to go back to other case laws and see how your particular case applies to case law and then... It helps you in judging. So instead of taking a week for Moses to judge this, Moses could say, oh no, that's exactly how we did it before and this is what the outcome was. And so this is how I'm going to judge this thing. It helps, building up case law helps in determining how to move forward on particular law because case law becomes kind of like this settled bed of, instructions rules and everything but case law is not a hundred percent set in stone because if if this particular if a particular case doesn't apply to the case law to the you know the established case law if you can show yes that was that situation but this one's totally different because of those these things then you might be able to get somebody to spend some more time on it. Um, And oftentimes, if you have a good lawyer and a lot of money, you could take almost any case and say, my case is unique. uh, And this is why my case should be ruled differently than perhaps every other case, which is why I have found in my life, uh, I used to deal in lawsuits years ago. Uh, I was a Owner of an engineering company. We were sued a few times and then we sold that company to a larger company. There's a couple of lawsuits under that. And what I found out is that there's case law, there's right and wrong, and then there are those companies that have the resources to put all the money that they can behind lawyers to make sure that they win a case. Because truly, I know it doesn't sound fair, but the way law is practiced today, the person with the most money typically has the upper hand. They don't always win. They just have the upper hand. Uh, So um, that is kind of how law is done today, but it's all on a bedrock of case law. So I almost get this impression that as Moses has received the 10 commandments, now he's having a conversation with God saying, listen, over the last Five, ten 10 years or whatever. These are some of the cases that have come before me. How would you have judged them? Or maybe Moses says, this is how I judge them. And God says, yeah, that was right. Or no, maybe you should have changed that or whatever. So Moses is having this conversation with God to produce case law. Now, the thing about case law is it does not, it's more contextual. Case law is, um, case law needs to be modified as changes and conditions in the field actually change. So for example, there's case law in here about ownership of property and slaves and things like that, Well, or servants. If, if that system goes away, then the whole case law that deals with servants may not apply anymore. But let's say that, that the old system of doing servants goes away, but there's a new system of servants that's, that's in place. Like, for example, American slavery in the United States. Um, you cannot, nobody, you cannot take case law from 3,000 years ago between Moses in a tribe where servants and slaves were bought and sold to pay off debt or maybe somebody wasn't able to take care of themselves and it was different as opposed to going into Africa, bringing slaves in the United States and then having them on your plantation as aggressive, horrible uh, slave labor that it should never have happened. You can't use the Bible's case law from Exodus 21 to apply to that. It's totally different context. So, and I, I, the way I read Exodus 21 to, you know, and following with these case law is that it was very contextual at the time of Moses in that society at that time. But, there are conditions on the ground that may be different uh, than the conditions on the ground at the time of Moses. So that case law may not necessarily apply. You might apply the Ten Commandments in a different way today than Moses did at the time of receiving this from God. And I think that was one of the mistakes of the Pharisees because a thousand or 1500 years after Moses or 2000, however many it is, you know, now Jesus is living in Jerusalem, you know, ministering in the, in the near East there. And the Pharisees were still trying to apply case law from thousands of years ago into their situation today, but the world had changed. They should have modified the case law. And in many, many cases they did. I don't want to deny that. In many cases they did modify the case law, but they did they used the law. It, uh, they didn't always modify the case law, perhaps, as it should have been modified. Let me put it that way. Uh, there, there may have been th- It's, And this is this is probably the most important point about Jesus and the Pharisees, is that the law on the books, let's say Jesus heals on the Sabbath, The law on the book from case law thousands of years ago said don't heal remember the Sabbath day and here's what you do from case law. But go forward 2,000 years, that may not make sense anymore. People might live differently than they did in 2,000 years. So when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and remember Jesus did not violate God's law, right? Because he's God. When Jesus heals on the Sabbath, He is perfectly within his right to do that. What did the Pharisees do? If it had been anybody else, they would not have gone after Jesus. But the Pharisees were out to get Jesus. So they were going to look at every single thing that he did, and they were going back into thousands of years of history of case law and trying to find something that they could pin against him, Not because they believed he did anything wrong, because healing on the Sabbath isn't, I mean, it was a miracle, it was a great thing. But they were trying to get Jesus. So they were going back into case law to create a political situation where they could go after Jesus. That's why they brought up the case laws that they did to go after Jesus. It had nothing to do with the case law itself it had everything to do with trying to find anything in their case law that they could go after Jesus with that they were not they were not using the law impartially to go after Jesus no they were using the law any way that they could to go after Jesus because they didn't like Jesus and that's the thing you have to understand even today i see In our public forums, in our political realm, mostly in our political realm, uh, people using case law to go after their opponents, not because their opponents are breaking the law, but because they don't like their opponents. And so they're trying to do anything they can to go after their opponents. And that, my friends, when you elevate any case to go from uh, impartial judicial application of justice to... I'm going to get my opponent. Now it's in the political realm. And that is why we have given the president of the United States the ability to pardon. Because a lot of the times in political parties, and the founding fathers knew this. Remember, the the ability to pardon is a founding father thing. They knew that anybody could twist and turn logic and law to go after their political opponents. And so that is why they allow the whole idea of presidential pardons, governor pardons, uh, because somebody at at its ultimate, at its ultimate, uh, the final decision at some point does become somewhat of a political decision more than it does become a judicial decision because the judicial system may not understand the whole politics of everything. Another example of this is the whole idea of what to do in the middle of a pandemic. You have the scientific community among themselves saying, we think this is the best course forward, but that's in a scientific viewpoint, and it does not necessarily represent the whole idea of human capital and the stress and strain of things because of the things that the scientific in the medical community are promoting, and so somebody at the at the top, and we pray that the people at the top are wise, uh, that they really really think about these things. They listen to all the different experts in all the different fields, and then they ultimately make the decision that they think needs to make that needs to be made. And if it's the wrong decision, then that person could be booted out, and another person could be could come in to make perhaps a better decision that ultimately is the way it works in the United States. And it's a great, great, great way. Because even with all the experts, nobody has 100% knowledge of everything and science and medicine and all these things that we think are really fixed don't necessarily take into account the human side of things all the time. So there has to, it ultimately, the decision has to be, at some level, a political decision. Sounds kind of crazy, but that's the way our system is set up. And I honestly think it's a pretty good system. So that is all being said, because now as we go through Exodus 21, we're going to see a lot of uh, what I would call case law. And you have to understand that this was contextual. It does not necessarily apply today. The underlying root applies today. The underlying root is the Ten Commandments. I believe the Ten Commandments never change. I think you should always follow the Ten Commandments. The application of the Ten Commandments in everyday modern society living, that application might change a little bit. I mean, and how it was, so another principle would be, how did they live their life back then? What were the things they struggled with? How did they apply the Ten Commandments back then? So what are the, what are the roots of applying the 10 commandments to theirs situation? And maybe the 10 commandments and their application, the roots of how they applied it would somewhat apply today in our situation. So that's how you have to understand Exodus 21. You can't just say these laws are fixed because in my view, as I look at this, God is having a discussion with Moses They're going through case law and they're confirming the things that Moses has already decided. That's what gets logged here in Exodus 21. So we left off yesterday in verse six uh, and this was talking about servants and masters and wives and things like that. We're going to continue that discussion. We're going to just start reading in verse seven and see where it takes us. So Exodus 21 verse seven, if a man sells his daughter as a servant, she is not to go free as male servants do if she does not please the master who has selected her for himself he must let her be redeemed he has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has broken faith with her so this is interesting if a man sells his daughter as a servant uh she doesn't get to go free as a male now you've got this master so the this we obviously have a situation that doesn't exist today which is you can actually sell your daughter into slavery into somebody else, uh, another master. That's pretty interesting. What is that all about? Um, That could be later on, could be called the dowry, right? That a man would provide an income to purchase or to provide a dowry to a, a woman's father because he's taking away... A, a someone from the household. So let's say you're a man, you have a daughter, and she's working in the household, cleaning, farming, gardening, whatever. And a man comes and says, "I want to marry your daughter." Well, the father looks around and he says, "Well, if you do that, I no longer have the use of this daughter to help the household. So you have to compensate me for that." So that's the whole where the whole dowry system came in. So the man says, "Okay, I'll give you two cows for your daughter." And the man says. My daughter, two cows okay. It's just, it seems like a fair amount and so they make this trade. But back before that, the man sells his daughter as a servant, uh, but she doesn't go free as a male servant. If this woman ends up not pleasing the master who she was sold to, it says he must let her be redeemed. In other words, he has to he can't just keep her in the household um, as a slave. No. If this relationship doesn't work out, then he has to allow her to go to someone else to be a slave or a servant in someone else's household. And remember in Greek, slave and servant, exact same word, doulos. And uh, same thing, I'm trying to think of what it is in Hebrew, but it's the same thing in Hebrew. We don't dif- differentiate. In our minds, You know, there's a whole level of differentiation. Uh, but but obviously it's a servant. It's It's somebody who comes into the household. If she doesn't please the master, who has selected her for himself, he must let her be able to go to someone else. So he has to sell her, let her be redeemed by someone else, to try someone else. This has to happen. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has broken faith with her. In other words, so there was this relationship, there was this expectation that this daughter would come in, be in this household, and that she'd be a part of the household. If it doesn't work out, it has to go to a different Israelite household can't go to a foreigner. Why not a foreigner? Because foreigners don't have the same set of rules and conditions, and that would take her out of the tribe that exists. So, so this obviously had come to Moses at some point, and Moses had to make a decision on it. And now he's got God's case law on this, which is great. Um, we'll continue reading in verse nine because it's the it goes on. If he selects her, remember, if the master. Well, if he selects her for his son, he must grant her the rights of a daughter. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. So, this is still back to the daughter that's been sold into servanthood, uh, into a tribe. If it doesn't work out with the master, You know, there was those things. But if he bought or purchased or got this daughter for the son, um, and they get married and they start having children, then this daughter becomes a, this woman becomes a daughter. No longer a servant because now marries the son, starts having children. She is a full-fledged member of the family, all rights and privileges as being a daughter of the family. Um, if the son, though, decides not to marry this servant, but decides to go marry another woman, this woman that's now in the tribe, not marrying the son, but just in the tribe, uh, we can't deprive her of food, clothing, or marital rights. In other words, if somebody else comes along and says, it could be in the tribe, in the family, I want to marry her. You know, you can't deny that. And if somebody else outside of the tribe says, well, I will give you a redemption and we'll take her and I will marry her, you can't deny that either. Because she's a young woman, she deserves to have children, she deserves to have a husband, she deserves to be married. Um, so you have to provide those three things, food, clothing, and the ability in the future to marry somebody else. So when you took on a servant to come into your household, either for yourself to marry or for your son to marry, and none of that works out, you have that servant in your household. You have to f- food, shelter, and at some point, you have to have the ability for that servant to go outside of your household into, uh, into somebody else's household. And if And if you don't do that, those three things, then she, according to this case law, is allowed to step out of that household and no money whatsoever. So she can't be redeemed because she's no longer in the household. So this guy who has this person in your household, you know, he he wants to get he not get rid of her. He wants to find a mate for her so he can get a little bit of a dowry, if you will, a little bit of a redemption. um So he's going to food, food, clothing and a little bit of redemption. And if that doesn't happen, then she has to uh, then she has the ability to walk away. So it's really kind of an interesting uh, way that they that they did society back then. You can tell a lot about how they structured society based upon the laws, the case laws that came forward to Moses. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, the next one is personal injuries. So we've just dealt with all the, the servants and the slaves and all that. Now we're going to go into personal injury law, which is also uh, very, very interesting. Um, I don't think they had ambulance chasers back there, back then at that time. That's more kind of a modern day thing. But uh, the, the personal injury stuff really gets interesting. And so we will uh, we'll get into that at our next episode on, uh, on episode 46, which is going to be next week. So um, I think we'll go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, gracious God, thank you for today. Thank you for this beautiful weather. Uh, watch over us until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.